Good morning, church. It is marvelous to be with you. As Kelly said, I also say happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. And as I said back on Mother's Day, you'll hear me say this uh, each time that we have a day like this. We, we celebrate uh, Father's Day for the ones here that are celebrating on this day, but we also recognize that this can be a difficult day for some people. Uh, for some of you, you may have lost a father in recent years, and so this is a reminder of that. For others, you may have a father that didn't live up to that title the way God intended it to be. And so we want you to know we grieve with you on this day as well. And so there's room for everybody to come as you are on a day like this. I also have said before, I, I, uh, I have a kind of a practice not to let Hallmark or a secular calendar define how we preach. Uh, so this isn't about dads or dad's days, at, at, although... On days like this, I want to direct it to our Heavenly Father and recognize and worship the one who did do it right and does every day. And so we've, we've got this little mini-series we're doing. We started last week, just a glimpse at the Trinity, the God we worship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We looked at the Holy Spirit last week, called him the guide who's been there before, right, who, who guides us into the life that he started from the very beginning. And then we're looking these next two weeks at the Father, and so it is fitting to look at Father God on Father's Day, and then next week, uh, the Son. And, and the way I want to do these two weeks is, I thought it might be fun to look at God. We're focusing on God, the Father, God, the Son, from someone who has that role in some way in their life. And so next week, Stephen Grove, who's a kind of a model son in our church family, will talk with me about uh, the Son of God in, in, um, in Scripture. But uh, I have a special privilege and honor today um, to have a man who is a father figure in my life, uh, Rob Corey. He is a dear friend. He is a, a mentor dude, as it says on the worship order today <laughs> in my life. Uh, and he was my shepherd and uh, elder when we were in Lubbock. And so this guy has put up with a lot. You think I'm crazy now. Some years ago when I was the campus minister there, he's the one that had to deal with all of the stuff in our ministry. He's an incredible man. So please give a warm A&M welcome to my friend Rob Corey. Thank you. If you saw me scanning the audience, I'm looking for people who know me. They're going, what is he doing up here? <laughs> and so there's, there may be several. I have a lot of ties to this church. Uh, there's no one I love or respect more than Lawrence Gow. And uh, he and I were great buddies at ACU. We had a house together on Cedar Crest. A sweet wife, Mary. What a wonderful family. What a wonderful man. I know his whole family. His brother Leland lived with Lauren and I and two other guys. See, there's Lisa, Linda, Lana. Did I get them all right? I think Lauren. His dad was the best veterinarian in Raton, New Mexico. So uh, he is a wonderful man. Bob and Janice Garner. Janice is an angel. She is the sweetest lady ever. Bob was like Wiley Coyote. I didn't know what he was going to blow up next. If you know Bob, if you know Bob, I don't know Bob. I don't know whether you're here this morning or not. I'm just a really amazed you're still alive. And... <laughs> And, and uh, uh, you're just, uh, anyway, he's turned into a, such a generous, godly man. And so I love the Garners. And last day I would say to Wes O'Rear, I know uh, his, his younger brother, Clint, married my oldest daughter, Alyssa. No one is good enough to marry your daughter. But Clint comes really, really close. And I've known all the O'Rear boys, and they grew up here and their sweet mother, Betty, 
and they are a godly family. And so uh, I'm thankful, Wes, to you. Uh, and I just want to say that our churches mirror a lot of each other. Uh, I was an elder at Broadway for 25 years. Uh, my wife, Sandy, directed Sunshine Preschool, which is also spelled the same way. You all have your preschool uh, here. Sandy was either a teacher or led that for 30 years. And so uh, uh, we love campus work. I know Aggies for Christ is huge. Broadway started the first campus ministry in the United States, or paid, first paid campus minister, a man named Carl Spain. We're celebrating our 75th year this summer. And so, again, I'm not as good at math as some of you kids or folks, but I think that puts us starting around 1947 that we've had a campus ministry, a Bible chair in Lubbock. So bless you. I look forward to your time. And uh, I'll tell you this also, as an elder, we made, I made some, a couple of really bad hiring decisions. But I also made two, I think, of the best in the history of that church. One of them is my buddy Dean. I still remember the Wednesday night. I called him. He was in Virginia and tried to talk him into coming to the fertile, windy plains of West Texas <laughs> to work with the campus ministry. And it was wonderful. He is wonderful. And y'all are lucky. And bless him. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Um, and by the way, I know we, we got up here a little bit late, so I said this to Kelly. I remember as a guy that used to come and speak uh, once a year. He was probably about 85 the last time he would come and preach at our college. And he said this line, I'll pass it on to you. He said, I came here to preach and you came here to listen. If you get done before I do, you're free to leave. <laughs> Let's begin with the text of Scripture here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be in this passage for the next two weeks. We're focusing this week on the work of the Father. Next week, we're going to catch the second part of it in the work of the Son. If you have your Bibles, your devices, we're in John chapter 5. Uh, and, and we're going to focus on the aftermath of the healing at the Bethesda pool. So you've heard the story before. A man is uh, crippled for 38 years, and Jesus comes, and we're going to pick up where he heals him in verse 8. This is the gospel of our Lord. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who may be well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray. 
Father God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Share with you before, I, I, I personally believe, and history bears this out, that although certain seasons will go up and down, most people in the world don't struggle with whether or not God exists. Yeah, and it'll go up and down, especially in an academic environment like this one. Most people don't struggle whether or not God exists or whether God even works in the world. The question they struggle with is how God works. How is it that God shows up and works in the world? Got a dear friend of mine that over the course of just a few years, she lost in a tragic accident her teenage son and her husband all within a few years. She has deep faith in the Lord. She absolutely believes God is here and he's working in the world. But don't you think at some point in time she struggled a little bit with the question, God, what are you up to in this place? Another dear friend of mine who over the course of the last decade, he's had one tragedy after another hit his immediate and extended family. And again, he loves God deeply. But I think he still struggles from time to time about God, what are you doing? How are you showing up? in this world. And it's important for us to think about in the context of this story, that's what the Jewish leaders are struggling with. How God is choosing and when God is choosing to work. The Jewish leaders here staggeringly are persecuting Jesus for doing a miracle on the Sabbath day. And I know it's easy for us to quickly condemn them and to push back against the Jewish leaders, especially the Pharisees probably showing up in this text. But just for a moment, I want you to feel the passion and the heart behind what they're doing. You realize that for centuries before this moment, the Jewish people were fighting time and time again to hold on to their identity in a shifting culture and a corrupt world. We feel that in our day, do we not? And you think about some years in the past in the Old Testament, the symbol of Jewish identity was rooted for a long time in a physical place of the temple. The problem with this little thing called the exiles, they got ripped away from that. And the temple was destroyed. And even when they came back, they rebuilt it, but it never reached the glory of the past. And then when we come to a time like this, we realize one empire after another, now in this place, Rome, had corrupted the leaders of the temple. So they recognized that physical place cannot be the symbol of Jewish identity. For so centuries, Pharisees and others said, we're going to make the symbol of our identity as the people of God, the Torah, following the law as closely as we can. And they defined all the rules around it. Now, they missed it and they blew it in many ways, but feel their heart and their passion as they're struggling on this day because Jesus is doing things that are literally turning their world upside down. They're saying, how is it that God is showing up and the Father is working in ways that make no sense to us? So Rob, can you talk to us a little bit about maybe there's some times in your life where you struggled with how God was seeming to work? You know, um, the story of the exile always reminds me, always reminds me that uh, Moses and Aaron show up they say, we're getting you out of here. And so they have all those plagues. You got your flies and your locusts and your sores and uh, darkness and waters turned to blood. And it's every time God softens Pharaoh's heart, stops them from leaving. And so 
after the death angel comes, they get to all go. But it's funny, through that process, the person they got mad at was Moses. Moses was ready to send them out. The one that softened God, their heart was God. There's something in our DNA that says we don't get mad at God, and we sometimes don't question God. When God may be using us for a very, very teachable moment. So when something happens at church, we get mad at the preacher. We get mad at the elders. We, something happens at school. We get mad at the principal or the teachers or any of you guys that teach at Texas A&M. I'm sure you've had students flunk your class and they blame you. Instead of looking at, is this a teachable moment? Is this something that sometime that God is trying to tell me something. I, my goodness, as an elder, I, we're not the word. We're not the law at all. But we are sometimes messengers of what God is trying to tell you. And one of those things, well, the, 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 the most frequent command that God gives us is not to love each other. It's not to forgive each other. The most frequent command that God gives us is not to be afraid. So whenever we go through stuff, and I can't explain when somebody loses a son. I cannot explain when you lose a husband or a mate or sickness. But God's telling you, I didn't cause that. But I'm there with you. I will comfort you. I'm the one you turn to. In reality of life, is it that simple? No. My wife is the middle of five kids, and she lost the youngest two first. Her, her only brother, who changed that family's life forever when they lost him, was in a farming accident. It rolled, a truck rolled over and crushed him. Just married. Her youngest sister's out at a park with her children. Basically has a heat stroke. We get to the emergency room in Plainview. She's got a five- and six-year-old daughter. And the daughter comes up and she says, Uncle Rob, I tried to help her breathe. I tried to help her breathe. I didn't have any good words for her. I couldn't say, well, you know, God's going to get you through this. You know, I could. Tragedy happens. Life happens. Dean and I have a magnificent friend, a girl, that lady that we both know and love dearly. She was a missionary growing up in Thailand. She and her husband spent 35 years in the jungle of Africa. She's at Broadway. They, that's where they grew, that's where they married and that's where we first supported them. She's got ALS. She, you know, it started with her on a cane. Then Tim pushes her in a wheelchair. And now she's got one of those wheelchairs where she can kind of move it with her arms. And when you speak to her, she has to type things on a, on a screen. It breaks my heart. Do I understand it? No. Do I get angry about it? Yes but I know we serve a God that'll get her through it. And so if nothing else, start just by hearing this. It's okay if you gather here on a Sunday morning and we're worshiping and we're singing and we're praising and we got waves behind us and all that and you're struggling with how God works because people have been doing that for a long time. And God says you are welcome to bring that wrestling and that struggle right here with you. And part of what we see in this story, Jesus makes it very clear that the Father's work is often done in mystery. 
It's often done in ways that we do not understand. And you can see that in several places in the story. First of all, Jesus shows up and he works. And they come up and they ask the man, who healed you? And he doesn't even know. And isn't astounding? Like Jesus heals this man miraculously. And then he just slips away in the crowd. He doesn't even know his name. I'm telling you, if I miraculously healed someone, it would be on the news. It would be in the newspaper. I'd be inviting people to come to church. I mean, broadcast. Jesus just quietly slips away, mysteriously doing the work of God. The other thing that strikes me, though, too, is what, do you, what question do you think is coming to the mind of the man who is healed here? Yes, he's healed. Yes, God comes in and heals him from being crippled. But what do you think he's going to ask in his mind? How long has he been paralyzed? 38 years. What question do you think he might want to ask God? What have you been doing the last 38? Yes, it's great that you came and healed me now, but what about the last four decades? By the way, it's probably not the only time in biblical history that somebody struggled with a question like that. We remember, as the scripture says, that God led his people out of slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm after how long? You can talk to me. After how long? 400 years. Don't you think they might have struggled with the question, what are you doing for four centuries, God? There's a few of these passages. I want to throw these out. We won't dive into them deeply, but, but just hear these words. In Genesis 15, God predicted that. He tells Abraham, I'm going to give you the promised land and your descendants are going to have the promised land, but not for 400 years years. And there, there's strange language in here where he says, you'll get in the promised land, but not until the sin of the Amorites has reached its full measure. Or look at Luke chapter 21. Jesus is predicting the persecution and the oppression that's going to come on the city of Jerusalem. And he said that persecution will last. How long? Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. A little more clearly, maybe, perhaps, in the book of Galatians chapter 4, it talks about the timing of when the Son would come and when the Father would send Jesus. Now, for centuries, they've been longing for and waiting for the coming of God's Messiah, His anointed and appointed one who's going to fix the brokenness in this world. In Galatians 4 verse 4, it said, At just the right time, God sent His Son. What does it tell us? God is always working in ways that are often shrouded in mystery. But one of the things that scripture tells us is that God always has the right timing. Now let's be honest. If you're like me, God has a sense of timing about him. But often his timing is not mine. (laughs) His schedule and calendar does not follow the way in which I would script for him. But one of the things that the scripture tells us, God is working, but it's not just the work he's doing. He also has a sense of when to do something. And in this man's life, Jesus brings healing for his legs, but he's also doing it in a way that sets in motion a larger work he's going to do in the entire religious system of the Jewish people and ultimately in the world. God has a sense of timing to it. Rob, have you had experiences when God has worked, but it wasn't quite the way you expected? I thought of so many. I will just give you one briefly. I, I am so lucky. I, I grew up in a wonderful family. I had a mom, dad, two older sisters who I fought with all the time, but now I can't get enough of them. I love them dearly. 
I went to a wonderful high school. I went to a large church that had a great youth program. So I'm 15 and dad dies of leukemia. He would be alive if they had it today, but this was 1963. So just before my senior year in high school, mother says we're moving to Rapid City, South Dakota. I didn't even know where South Dakota was. So I get up there, myself and two kids from the Sioux Indian Reservation are the entire youth group. I'm the only member of the Church of Christ in a high school of thousands. I'm crying. I I literally cried. I didn't want mom to see me cry because mom had had enough to deal with. She was trying to put two kids through college and raise me. I couldn't let her see me cry. I was heartbroken. I cried. That year, I, I found my faith. I didn't have any, I didn't have the pressure of, of kids at at church or school. Nobody knew who I was. I could have been anything. And I realized I want want to do that. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Christ. I, I want to try to live up to him the very, very best I can. It turned out to be one of the most wonderful years of my life, the most spiritually building, one of the most spiritually building years of my life. I thank God. I cried when I left. Mm. Powerful. So God, God will work in these ways that confound our expectations and timings in ways differently than we would script or expect. The heart of what I want us to see here in this picture of the Father. It's just a glimpse of the Father, but one of the things that Jesus makes very, very clear in his defense of their attack is that God is always working. He's always working. Here's a way to think about what Jesus does in this little conversation. Um, Jesus would make a great lawyer because one of the things lawyers will do if they're defending someone Uh, They're going to do something. They're not going to hang their whole case on one point. They will do what lawyers call arguing in the alternative. Uh, So if someone is accused of something and they're defending this person, they're going to defend them first by making a whole case on this. But if that falls through, they'll say, now, if you didn't believe anything I just said, let me give you another reason (laughs) to, uh, to let them off. Jesus has more than one defense for their attack of his Sabbath healing. So if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll hear him offer one kind of defense. Maybe you've heard this before. He heals a man with a withered hand. Some other places they attack him. Does anybody remember what he said in response to that? He said, look, if your ox falls into a ditch, won't you pull him out? We call that an exception. Jesus says, oh, this is an exception to the rule not to work. In an emergency situation, he said, this is one of those kind of situations. But that's not what he argues here. In the alternative, Jesus argues here, What I want you to know is something about my father. My father never stops working. Here, Jesus is arguing for no exception. He's just saying, you bet, I'm guilty, I'm working. But here's here's my defense. I'm watching my father. And when God is working, I have to join in with him. 
So here's a couple things to think about because this really has an enormous impact on our life. Don't rush past this. See, for me, often when I go through those times like Rob is talking about where I struggle with what God is up to, I want to ask the question, when are you going to do something, God? Do you ever have times like that? When are you going to act? Hear me, that is never the question if what Jesus just said is true. It's never the question, God, when are you going to do something? The question is, God, can you give me the eyes to see what you are already doing right now? Right? You're already working. So for this man, he might say, what have you been doing the last 38 years? Well, he wasn't healing him in this way, but I promise you, Jesus says God is always working. The Father's always up to something. The Father was working every moment of those 38 years, even though it was different than the man would have scripted it if he was giving God the script. God was working every moment of those 400 years when his people were enslaved, even though he hadn't brought the outcome that they wanted just yet. And I promise you, if you're going through something in your life, something you don't understand, I promise you the question is not, when is God going to do something? The question is, God, can you open my eyes to what you are already doing right here, right now? He's always at work. There's another nuance to this. I, I learned some years ago. I called it the new classic of Experiencing God. Anybody read this book, Experiencing God, Blackaby and King? One of the great things they do is unpack this passage. And they talk about what it means to see God at work. They say, first of all, God's always working. But here's the powerful thing that Jesus models for us. When we are given the eyes to see where God is working at any moment in our life, listen to this, this is huge. It is not just a moment to say, isn't it great God's doing something? That vision of God's work is also an invitation for you to join him in the work he's doing. You hear that? Jesus says, my father's always at work. And Jesus says, I cannot help, but when I see the father working, I go and join him in what he's already doing. Now listen, this is so, it sounds so simple, but it is so different than the way I tend to run my life and the way we plan our churches, right, Rob? So often what we do is we get in rooms and we plan all these great agendas for the year, and I've got a great plan, and the elders will do it, the ministers will do it, and the people, the workers in the church will do it, and we'll plan all this stuff, and then we hand it to God and say, would you bless it? Jesus says, that's not the way I approach ministry. Jesus, remember, we started at the beginning of the year talking about this. Jesus lived his life as dependent on the leading of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week as we are. He just did it perfectly. So here's how Jesus did his ministry. He went about his life, he watched for where God was working, and he joined the Father in his work. What if that were our approach? Instead of handing him the script and then wondering when God doesn't follow our lead, what if our entire leadership approach in this church in our families, and our lives, where God, would you give us the eyes to see where you're working? And then we ask, now what have you gifted us with to join you where you're already working? It will transform everything in our lives. Rob, can you tell us about what that's looked like in your life? It's hard. Ministries all around us. Ministries in everybody, nearly every situation you see. Uh, in my years of working with church and a and working with youth, we're at, a, we're at a retreat, and somebody said, the guy says, we're going to read out of Genesis 4, and this girl looks at me like, and she, she says, what's Genesis? When I'm working with the, with the campus ministry, I get kids in there that have, away from home for the first time, they are lonely, and they're doing things that they haven't done before. You got men out there 
testing their testosterone and you got you got kids out there inhaling alcohol and all sorts of weird things that the, the college kids do in their way and and they're doing things and you the secret to ministry in any ministry is you take someone from where they are you cannot change what they have done you cannot change what they have been or where they have been what you do is you take you, you take them where they are and boy then you run with them and you help them and you walk with them and those are your teachable moments I, I'll give you just one more quick one I was at church and this lady comes by and this girl comes by and she says can I get married at your church and I said yes what's up and she said well she said I'm pregnant she said my church won't let me get married in our church and I said boy it's a good thing Mary and Joseph didn't go to your church didn't it you know <laughs> I mean, you can, we can either scorn people or we can love people. Ministry is out there everywhere. Bless you. Beautiful, man. Thank you. So as we wrap up here, I, I want you to think about, because we've all had one way or another those experiences of kind of take your child to work days. <laughs> you think about these, right? And, and maybe you've done it as, as a parent. You've had that opportunity to bring your child into your work world. But Today, I want you to think from the perspective of the child. What is it like to be that little child and you go and you only know your parent in this world that they shape and the way that they shape you and you get to kind of be invited in to them doing their thing somewhere else, right? You, you remember those moments? I want you to think just for a moment about Jesus the Son and the delight and joy he must have had where every day he's going out to those places in the world, broken people, and he sees his father working and he delights in joining the father in that work. He says, I'm compelled to step in where I see my father changing lives. I love that. I'm telling you, it's an incredible honor that I've had to watch this man a father figure in my life, model. He's not perfect, he'll tell you that, but he models that father to me. Uh, Melanie reminded me of one, I was going to tell a different part of this story, but uh, just this morning, she said, do you remember my favorite thing that Rob said as a father figure in your life? And I said, well, tell me what you're talking about. There, there was this period of time, I, was, I don't even remember what we did, but there was something we were doing in campus ministry. We were going to do something at the retreat, and we asked the elders blessing on it. I don't, I don't know what it was, Brian. I don't think we weren't sacrificing chickens or something, but it was something that was a little different, and so we had to get the elders' blessing, and we did that, and somebody, somebody came up and criticized me. Melly said, do you remember what Rob said? I said, well, I remember what he did, but I don't remember exactly what he said, and she said, this is what he said. He went up to them. And he said, look, the elders approved this. We've got this. Dean came and talked to us first. They've got it. And he said, if you've got a problem with him, you come to me and you leave that boy alone. <laughs> but that's an elder right there. <laughs> it was beautiful. He stepped in in that moment. The part I've told him about before many times means so much to me. Uh, every Wednesday night was our big gathering. And I would speak often on those occasions. And I've dealt with this a lot more. I came here and I told you I'm a recovering people pleaser. So I'm a lot better now. If you don't like my stuff, I just go to God and say, I'll do better next time. But, but back then, it re, I really struggled. One of the most vulnerable moments when somebody puts themselves out there is right after you're done. 
And I remember these Wednesday nights, the basement of Broadway, and I'd just finished, and I'd walk, and we're still singing the last song, and I'm just thinking of all the things that I didn't do right. I can't tell you, every Wednesday night, first of all, he was there with our students and with me. And every Wednesday he'd come up, he'd slide over in the back, he'd put his arm around me, he said, you did well, son. I'm telling you, as a guy who lost his dad when he was 10 years old, that three-letter word is one of my favorite words in the English language because I didn't get to hear it enough from the man I looked up to. The word son. I love you, son. I love saying it to my boys. And I love it when he said it. Of course, I told him that story, and then he did it even more. And that's one of the reasons why when that young man was born 15 years ago, we named him Luke Robert Barham. Because when I see the father working, I cannot help but to say, can we join him in that work? And that's what Jesus invites all of us to do. Join God in his work. I I challenge you, open your eyes. Because he's always working. And here's the thing, be careful. Because if you see him work, you just might be compelled to jump in yourself. Thank you, Rob, for being here. You want to finish this up? Yeah, thank you. I'm unworthy. Of all the things Dean said, I'm unworthy to be here, to be on a stage talking to people. But thank you for letting me be here. This, our relationship with God, again, is perilous. This thing that Dean's doing, this series on the Trinity, is crazy. I mean, it took, it took me years to work through that Trinity thing. I still don't know whether I have it right, but I'm going to tell you what I think, and maybe that'll give some of you some comfort. I believe that Jesus is God on earth. I believe when he said, you see me, you see the Father, he meant it. And that gives me a lot of peace because when I pray, it would be with whoever. If they're going through hard times, I feel like God has walked on this earth and seen them. I know he knows what it is to see a friend get sick. I know what it is to see a friend die. I know what it is for him to get beat up because of his beliefs. I know what it means for him to be persecuted for what he thinks. And I believe God understands that because I think God was walking mm-hmm. right here on us with it, right here on earth with us when he did that. I hope that gives you peace. It gives me peace. Thank you again. I, I will tell you what, I love this man. Please take care of him. Please take care of him. He and Melanie are just blessed. So I will close my part in prayer. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you've given us. I, I, I want to be a blessing. I hope it has. I ask blessings on this church. I pray for their future. I pray, no, whatever they do, however they do it, that they will glorify your name. I pray for the eldership. I pray for the ministers here, Father God. Oh, bless them. Father God, it's a tough job, and I, I pray your blessings. Now, God, bless our day and our week together. God, may we glorify you. May the things we say, the things we do, the way we say them, just, boy, I hope that just makes you smile. In Jesus' name, amen.